I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the OMG MotoGP podcast with former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan. And myself, Amy Reynolds, filling in for Harry this week whilst he's enjoying Japan. Please make sure you have liked, subscribed and left a review either here on YouTube or wherever you're listening to us. And if you have a question, query or comment, you can send us a 30 second voice note over email. It's omgmotogp at gmail.com. Coming up on the show, I am Really pleased to say that joining us is Isle of Man TT female lap record holder, Guinness World record holder, the first female British superbike racer, and not to mention Hollywood stuntwoman, Jenny Timberth. Jenny, it's great to have you with us. I was just saying to uh, Harry, genuinely really excited because obviously so aware of you and your achievements, but have never really known that much about your background. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah. Uh, Likewise, I just like I was saying, I just said we haven't never crossed paths, have we? Even though we're in the motorcycle sport, you know, we've never really crossed yeah. paths. So yeah, looking forward to having a chat. I feel like I'm the lucky one here because I know both of you um, not particularly well. Um, Amy, obviously, around the MotoGP paddock. Jenny, around the uh, TT and uh, British Championship paddocks. But I've been a fan of both of you throughout both of your careers, and it's uh, it, it's going to be an interesting conversation that we have today as well, with a definite female perspective on it, which I. I think is important. I might be the old bloke in the crew here, but um, having a house full of, of females at home here, I think my perspective is quite good. We'll give it a test. And obviously there's like loads of topical things to actually talk about in terms of, I'm sure Keith, you're going to definitely cover this one up, uh, with the fact that next year we'll see the launch of the FIM Women's Motorcycle World Championship. So obviously it's like a big, big topic, Jenny, to get your opinion on, because I'm sure you have one. Um but Keith, yeah, take it away. Well, I think, uh, let's cover where we're going, first of all, shall we, with tracks, which is something that we're all comfortable with. Um, brand new track coming up, Bud International, brand new to us, I should say. Formula One have been there uh, several times back in uh, when the track was first formed. But we're going to India, or Bharat, I think it's. Uh, I think we're sticking with the uh, the Indian name. And because, because the British colonialism gave them the, the original title of being the Indian continent um it's all changed i think the the government and the and the like are trying to move it towards a more traditional uh, title as well i've noticed it's cropped up in all of the the sequences not that that will make any difference of course to to grand prix which is where we're going i mean it's a, it's an interesting looking uh situation where we've not fully homologated this racetrack until this week um Caparossi yeah. and co have all been out there since last thursday it's been a gradual you know bit by bit ticking a box to get the homologation done, but it's still not fully homologated. So there's, there was always that possibility that people were going to be on planes and things and get there, and um, we don't have a Grand Prix. I think we're safe, um, but the final inspection isn't done until Thursday, and we're recording this now on a Monday. Um, so come OMG Extra uh, later on in the week here on uh, the OMG site, um, we'll have the final news. 
as far as the Indian Grand Prix is concerned. But fingers crossed, we're going to get one. Yeah, and hopefully, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. And they've got standards to kind of copy, haven't they? And if they're building something new, I'm sure they can just copy what's gone before. And the speed at which people can do things these days is incredible, isn't it? If something's not quite right on on Wednesday, they can sort it by Thursday. So I'm sure. Well, providing the track still hasn't got that bloody great big jump in it at the end of the straight, we'll be fine. Uh, Watching, you know, it's more like a motocross track, which Amy, I think you'll have a bit more experience about than the rest of us. But I think, uh, uh, yeah, and losing Mike Trimby as well is significant in that that he obviously represents, you know, the uh, International Race Teams Association, and 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 it might be the first test because Erta really, without the gravitas and and political and diplomatic skills of Mike Trimby at, at the at the head of the table, um, it really does chuck them all in the deep end as well. Yeah, he's a big loss, isn't he? When he's He's the one that's implemented all of that side of it, and yeah, for him not to be there and for them to take up that baton, yeah, I'd be interested to see how they how they deal with it. You talk about the women's championship, Amy, but um, one of the things that that obviously the Indian, uh, I'll say, organisers for want of a better phrase, are trying to do is they're trying to bring through youngsters as well on a continent that really they've got many many youngsters that are quite quick on on motorbikes, but the Ovale. Um, Mini bikes that I think Peter Hickman actually brings in Ovale, doesn't he? He's the uh, he's the British importer of Ovale, the uh, in, the Italian mini bikes that that everybody sort of practices on and plays on. And I noticed that there's a there's a big series that that is run at the Bud International Circuit as well. So um, I think maybe the the Indian continent is a little behind in in Indian races when we might expect them to be something there or thereabouts we had the same thing with the japanese originally didn't we I, the japanese made great motorbikes and and promoted you know the europeans effectively on, on and the americans on, on on motorbikes but then the japanese riders themselves had to come through and they did yeah, and thai riders at the moment with the um, chantra from from thailand and one or two others as well that are coming through as well so i think india is a little bit behind on this so this this whole good international indian grand prix situation could promote a whole re a massive region uh, um, and make GP a big thing on that particular continent as well. Well, we know how popular most GP is in that part of the world. And I mean, I am expecting there to be a decent sized crowd there because it is huge, huge in India. But like you said, Keith, there's only what one, I think there's only one wild card, isn't there, in Moto3? And um, I think one guy. They've got one Indian guy and a Malay rider. Um, so yeah, I'm surprised not to see a few more in the riders list. But you know, being present in a country is is really how you kind of stir interest. And and I think they actually do have a women's event on earlier in the weekend. I think it's called Women's on Wheel with the wheels, which they're trying to do um, at various Grand Prix. Um, but shall we leave the India chat for later this week, Keith? in our MotoGP Extra and get on to things uh, with Jenny, because uh, I'm so keen to hear, Jenny, how you managed to achieve so much over your career and throughout your career. Um, how, how did you actually get into racing though? Because you started at like, age 20, right? Yeah, um, obviously quite late for a racer. They all started at like four and motocross and things. So yeah, very, very late. Um, so my dad, he always had a motorbike. And then just when I was, um, 16 I just did my CBT and it was kind of like a natural thing for me to get a motorbike at that time dad had one I just thought it's sort of a normal thing to do and obviously a massive Formula 1 fan and anything motorsport based two-wheel based car based I I just loved and um I just I got I got the motorbike I didn't quite know what I wanted to do when I left school so I I just one day happened to go into the library and thought I'd like to learn about how engines work and found it extremely interesting and obviously being a massive Formula One fan as well, watching like Ayrton Senna and Nigel Mansell's little era and all the battles and the I guess like the underdog battles as well. I really I was inspired by the underdog battles like as well. I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought, well, I'll, I really love riding my bike. I, I bought a little TS125 uh, when I was seventeen. I used to ride that on the road, and I got I got so interested in the mechanics of the bike. Like my dad was a he just self taught mechanic. You know, he'd fix bike in garage, and he'd you know he'd have a car and bits or a bike and bit bits. Um, my cousin the same, he'd have a car and bit, so just, I guess being around that sort of environment and finding it interesting myself and having a massive love for it, anything two-wheel motorsport or four-wheel motorsport, you know, I I was just very, very drawn to it. And so I trained to be a 
I moved to Mike Mechanic at college. I went to college course for three years. Um, halfway through the course, I well, there's a local dealership, uh, Bill Smith. You'll probably know Bill Smith really well. Obviously, a very successful Alaman GT racer. Um, he and he's got a dealership in Chester. So I used to be in there all the time, you know, looking at the the new bike stream, and it was only from one one day, and just said, I just applied, sort of put myself forward to see if they would take me on as a mechanic. So um, I, it's I was obviously a female in a what I would see. I'd only ever seen male mechanics, so I, I didn't generally think they would take me on. So I offered to work for free at weekends, hoping that they would take me on. I mean, I, I was probably they probably would have taken me on anyway, but just in my head, I didn't know if they would. So um, applied for a job. Well, it wasn't a job actually. I just put myself forward and said, "Will you take me on for free at weekends?" So it worked out well for my college courses. The last year of college had to do a. You had to be in a dealership to complete the college course, so I was already there. So I completed that, and then my part-time job went to full-time job. And obviously, Bill was racing; one of the mechanics was racing. And I just said, "How do you start? What do you do? How do I, how do I get going?" And that's where that's where it started. It's incredible, really, because you've you've come up the kind of standard way that that what? most of us come up. Who's got a dog? Who's Me? got a dog? Sorry, <laughs> sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce the dog. Introduce the dog. Uh, you get him. I know. I know. He's called Sprocket. He's a Sprocket. I love it. He's usually Hello, on guard. Don't <laughs> 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 get too quiet. That's, that's funny. Well, Pete McLaren, whenever we were doing these podcasts with Pete McLaren, he always had a dog that lived next door and he always used to join in. So uh, it's, it, it seems quite normal to have a dog on, uh, on cool. OMG, I've got to say. Cool. Um, you came up the sort of standard way that most guys come up. But I mean, you know. It is. Un- I'm sorry to have to say, but it is unusual for a, for a, a young woman to, to to come up in the way that you did, and to to find that kind of drive and determination in what is definitely a male in- environment back in those days, particularly. I mean, did kind of people look at you and think, "Oh, yeah, well, she's an odd one." No, I, I guess not. I think I like the fact that nobody paid any attention to me, um, and I was very quiet anyway, quite a quiet, shy kind of person that just got on with her own thing, and the fact that. Nobody expected someone like myself to be doing that. I kind of played that to my advantage. I really like the fact that I was under the radar, no paying attention. I could do what I wanted, so to speak. Um, and I just went about about chasing my own dream and my own passion sort of by myself and just seeing if I could. I, I really like the challenge of it. You know, this, you can have aspirations, but it is, it's very cheesy, but it is like the journey on the way to try and achieve something which, which was fun for me. I enjoy the challenge of trying to see if I could do it and um, my gender I guess didn't even wasn't even a consideration or a mind you know I was worried about my dog <laughs> um, yeah I just see myself as a human as everybody does you know especially when you're young you, you are just a human being and you just you have interests and passions and you just go and chase them if you want to so drive and determination are something that that you you can't buy that you can't force it on you so you obviously have a huge amount of drive and determination underneath that very um can i say placid i suppose because you are a very gentle human being overtly but no motorcycle racer i've ever come across and you've been a good motorcycle racer um is that quiet and that gentle out on track that is for sure so i mean how how did you manage that i mean you you must be quite an aggressive woman somewhere underneath all of that um Somewhere. Um, I don't know. I think it's just the the determination and the I think the fact that I never came from a racing family. I had no I had no help to to begin it or do it. I think the fact that you don't know how to do it gives you a massive inner determination to see if you can. And I think it comes it comes from that. Um, and I guess maybe naturally you have to have a competitive nature. And I I guess I'm I must have it, especially in racing terms. Not generally but in racing terms I definitely do and I think just a desire it's a self-desire as well you know you want to prove to yourself that you can do something or see how far you can go for your own for your own achievements so yeah what what I mean there must have been you know looking around you I mean the unfortunate thing the reason we don't have more female champions and females at the front is because the pool is so small the pool that we're picking from is so incredibly small at the moment even still with with people like yourself who have, who have been front runners in this um i mean how do we get more more young ladies to 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 be involved more girls to be involved i mean i've got a household full of them but but none of them want to go motorbike racing thank heavens is all i can say <laughs> um, but but the point being is is that 
I mean, I, I can answer some of that question, I suppose, myself. Well, I mean, I've got one daughter that I've just dropped off at, um, at, at uni that, that's doing mechanical engineering um, and the like. I mean, there are a lot of avenues that I think women should have been involved in much, much earlier, but somehow they weren't traditional female paths, if you like, to, to success. Um, I think that's become much more equal. But in a rambling kind of a way, what holds women back? What holds young women back from being more involved in these kind of male-orientated sports? I guess I can only speak from my own point of view, I guess. And then I think it, it's not necessarily just women. It, it's more the sport in general at, at base level. If you don't come from a financially um, sound position kind of thing, it's very, very difficult actually to get into the sport and to get going. It's it's expensive, you know. And once you get to the like the British Championship level, for instance, um, you, you do need money. There's no two ways about it. You know, it's not like, I guess, like football where you, equipment to practice is relatively cheap. Uh, if you want to do most fat racing, equipment to practice is quite expensive, you know. And uh, as everything progresses and everybody gets better and better, you know, you can't have an older bike. You need a newer bike and you need the new tyres and you need fuel. And I guess, um, I don't really know what to say about the women's side of it. I think it's just, it, it's really good at the moment because there's, there's a huge amount of uh, positive female role models like Anna Krasko, for instance, winning the World Championship obviously had a massive influence on girls seeing a, you know, a woman do it and then knowing that, that it can be done and it is something that they can do. And it, you, you see that with the amount of females now in, in the 300 Championship. And so I think positive role models definitely and financial help. <laughs> so it must be a good thing, uh, Faye Ho coming from uh, Macau and um landing on our shores here and definitely a very positive aspect as far as um, female races are concerned in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. She's drawn a massive highlight, hasn't she? Um, you know, Amy, we, we can see it, can't we? She's, she's had a huge influence on put, putting a spotlight on the girls. Um, um, the, I mean, there's loads of females actually racing that we, they just don't, we just don't know about them. And I think the point that you can highlight them and show them and showcase them and have such a, you know, she's got such a fantastic team that the whole way she runs it and the you know, she puts them. She puts them forward for, for interviews. Like you know, go and be interviews. She teaches them how to be in front of a camera and speak to people. And yeah, I don't know, if Amy, if you've no, you've noticed more girls. I just think, as a girl, or you know, within any discipline, sport, interest, you have to see it to believe it. And unless you've got enough of these role models to look up to when you're young and capture that young audience, then that we're not going to see enough people being filtered through but I was just wondering even just from a personal point of view Jenny I don't know if you noticed this but me as a, a young girl growing up I definitely went through that stage where I kind of started to drop all of my sports like I used to be sports mad I would play for the boys teams the girls teams I just every single day it was like you know when you had a different activity going on and then I just hit an age where I kind of just dropped out of everything. And for me personally, I, I think that's a massive part is kind of trying to retain. The, I think it's like the teenagers trying to retain them and their interests and keep them going. Because I know loads of my friends who all, you know, used to mess around on their, their brother's bikes, their pit bikes and things like that. And then obviously just kind of didn't carry on going to the track and, and things like that. So from my perspective, I was always thought like, what can we do to try and keep the interest? And then what I noticed as I got a little bit older was that I think maybe around, oh, I must've been about 20 or 21, I jumped on my friend's um, motocross bike and obviously it was like a race tune bike and I broke my leg. Um, and like I did my tib, my fib, dislocated my ankle. And it was the first time like I'd ever really had something happen that I was like, oh my God, I'm not, indestructible and it knocked my confidence and from that point I kind of all of a sudden had this fear like I I had fear and it's the first time I ever really kind of felt that before so how have you just carried on overcoming fear like you've not had I know especially even when I've gone into my 30s I've got like this inbuilt self-preservation mode especially now I've become a mum and I would love to, like I used, before I had my little boy, I used to go and ride in Jerome, Wales. And it's how like my husband proposed to me. And I, I did my motorcycle license and I had this like renewed energy and I wanted to go and do all these things again. And then since I've had him, I've become really 
afraid. So like, how do you overcome fear? And so I've never had a fear of crushing, which is quite bizarre. <laughs> bizarre. That's why you're amazing at what you do. Yeah, I, don't, I actually... You, you, you are one of us. No doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> one of us because... No, I... I can never remember fear. No, just none. It's I get an absolute buzz and exhilaration from the being on the point of crashing. And then when I do crash, I'm like, even that is a buzz, <laughs> which is probably wrong. But um, I guess yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I don't mind. I don't mind having a crash, you know. And I think you need. I guess you you need that, that to be a bike racer, you Because know? I when I was learning to be a bike racer and trying to push myself to get to British Championship. I remember going around Island Bend at Alton thinking, right, I'm just going to go in as fast as I can. And if I, if I die, I'm willing to die. You know, I just wanted to, and I just wanted to live. But I mean, generally, the good thing is I kind of know in my head that the, the bike's going to make it. And it's just me that's going to stop it, you know? So, but I get, I give myself that kind of commitment to just going for the buzz of that it. That is a so, racer's mentality though, isn't I, it? I guess it's any, I guess it's any extreme sports kind of mentality, isn't it? If you get a base jumper or, and anybody's into a bit of a thrill-seeking kind of sport, then... I, I, I can really see how you ended up becoming a stunt person for the Mission Impossible <laughs> franchise alongside yeah. um, the diminutive Tom Cruise because... But it must be must be kind of strange because your racing career will be about um, determination and no fear. I mean, I don't think any motorcycle racer that I know... Um, has an inherent fear of what they're doing otherwise they wouldn't be doing it so that basically i think that's just a human thing you either have that or you don't have it um motorbike racers generally don't have it um but then when it comes to hollywood i mean i've spoken to you about this before jenny i mean the 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 absolute precise the precision in which you have to go about stunt anybody think i mean i used to think stunting was about just going bonkers and 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 doing it to it but you guys have to do it to such a precise script it's not quite what we might have thought it was like no, absolutely not. I think um, when you say about being scared of something, that's actually a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing of doing it wrong because it is so precise. You know, you have to be in the right place in front of the right camera. I mean, well, there's always several cameras, but, you know, if you've done the action not in that in that frame, you know, you've ruined the shot. So being extremely precise about where you are and what you're doing and making sure you've got the action that they need for the cameras, you know, that in itself is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people watching you and there's a lot of money involved and then it's quite exhilarating you know i think the racing's definitely benefit benefited the the, the stuff work because you're used to kind of that pressure and doing the right thing and trying to be precise and all all of those things you know you need to race and it does definitely carry over to the to the film industry just completely in a different way so who preps the bikes when you're doing your stunt work i mean are they like factory bikes that are sort of turned up and you're in your rv and they flick their fingers and say time for jenny to do her piece and um and, and you don't have anything to do with them because you're you're a qualified mechanic you work on all your own race bikes and, and so on i mean you feel slightly nervous if someone else is working on your bikes or, or or are you happy for someone else to do the the graft no definitely happy for somebody else to do the graft and um, they have uh companies like action vehicle companies that prep all the vehicles for, for the for movies so yeah they get all the hard work of all the prep and you can kind of um pester them to change anything you want you know they're really really willing to make the bikes to whatever spec you want and we get to test them before a movie so we can see if they're um the set for us you know that we're happy with everything that we can reach the levers everything feels fine and um, then the capable of doing the action that you know the directors and producers want which is the most important thing so so yeah luckily i don't have to i don't have to get involved i don't have to touch them which is great and the, the companies are fantastic you know that's what they do that's their job so is that as much down to insurance so that you have these people that do do stuff because of insurance and so on and so forth? I mean, and the other thing is it's a double-handed question. There's nothing more bloody annoying in a movie when you've got two, clearly a two-stroke motorbike and you've got a four-stroke noise or the other way round. I mean, it's just annoys the hell out of all of us. I know that you'll all be the same. Um, yeah. Why do they do that? They're idiots. I think that's old school now, isn't it? I think, I think there's been that many people that have highlighted okay. that. <laughs> No, I, mean, I think the same people who have said that sounds awful. That I think they don't do that anymore in the, in a modern film. But I know exactly what you mean. Most of the time, it's some raspy two-stroke, isn't it, over the top of a four-stroke? So, but yeah, I think that they've moved away from that now, which is good. And to be fair, I did um, after Mission Five, I had to do a sound recording to capture um, bike sounds. So I'd, I, I was, uh, we basically went to um, Thruxton 
and I just thrashed around Thruxton with a massive rucksack on with the batteries and all the um, sound equipment strapped to the bike so they could capture sound of the bike. So it's very, very authentic these days. It's not quite as it used to be, which is which is good. Jenny, how did you move into the stunt work? Um, so I was lucky enough, um, they needed a female rider to double the female actress, which which is, in itself is quite cool because in days gone by, it used to be the smallest guy they could feel them to find to double the actress, you know, with a wig on and everything. And then it's very much, a, you know, the female, the female double now will double a female lead or a female actress. Um, and they needed somebody to ride the Atlas Mountains in Morocco. So obviously racing at the TT, um, being on the mountain course, it was a it, it was a mountain similar environment, so to speak. Um, and obviously being in British Superbikes as well. It was on sports bikes, so it was on the BMW S thousand RR. So we just I just basically my name got put forward uh, because of my racing and went for an audition down at Goodwood just to make just basically to make sure you can follow direction and um riding cl- close contact contact kind of with a car and other riders and things and yeah, got got the job from there and then it just sort of went from there. So very, very much based off off my my seatback riding and my Alaman TT riding. I just had visions then when you were saying about they 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 might have uh, had small blokes before Danny Pedrosa all of a sudden with a wig on. He'd have to shave his eyebrows; they're a bit too dark for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They do the face. That was mission. Sorry, what was that? Sorry, they do the, um, that was mission. Face swap out now, don't they? They just swap his face out for a, a different face. Hey, they'd have to do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine that. My kids would be all right with that. And swap his face out now. <laughs> Put Brad Pitt on there. <laughs> <laughs> What's that rhyming slang for? I don't know. Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and are you just doing motorcycle stunts or are you now into different different disciplines within the stunt world? Um, just, just motorcycles. So, um, yeah, luckily I had a fantastic stunt coordinator called Wade Eat. Wade Eastwood, Wade Eastwood, who is just absolutely fantastic. Like, I'm really, really lucky. I've kind of gone in right at the top level, you know, in the best stunt coordinator. I know, you know, he's absolutely fantastic. And he just said, he said to me, just stick with what you do. You know, you're a motorbike racer first and foremost. So just, just stick with the motorcycle kind of genre. So I haven't really diversified into into anything else. I just stuck with the bike racing, which kind of suits me because I love my motorbikes. So anything playing about on motorbikes is, I'm super happy with that. You told me ages ago that that Tom Cruise actually, I mean, there's been a film out recently of some of the latest Mission Impossible stuff stunts that he's done. He really does have a go on his, on his own stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Like the stuff that he, you know, he's an incredible driver and incredible bike rider. We did a track that uh, Bedford Auto Dream, and he's on a bike, and he's just he is fast. If anything, you have to hold him hold him back because you can see how much of an adrenaline buzz he gets from, it and he really enjoys it and Obviously, I don't envy Wade's job because it's his job to keep him safe, you know. Um, and that, the whole stunt team, to be fair, you know, they have to keep him safe while he still obviously get, gets the opportunity and his desire is to do his own stunts. So, I mean, the one where he, he um, did the base jump off the off the cliff on the motocross bike was insane. You know, it was, it was such a stunt to do, but he advocates for that. He wants to do them and he does do his own stunts. You know, he'd always say and he does his own stunts and he does. You know, he's genuinely fantastic at what he does and... Yeah, he's he's actually a really really cool guy. Has he hurt himself yet? Is that the reason why he's still able to do them? Because most most people are pretty cool until they hurt themselves, and um, and then sort of it's a reevaluation about at that point. No, didn't he, he um, break his ankle doing one of the stunts? We had to jump from building to building, and um, I can't remember if it was five or six, but yeah, he I think it was six. Yeah, he um, he did break his an- ankle because he just oh, it just awkwardly hit the side of the building as he jumped. Um, as he does, he just carried on. You know, he hobbled away and got got the shot with him for the break in his ankle. So, but yeah, no, he just. I think it was more the fact that he had to recover from that that was the pain. Which for for all of us, isn't it? When we're you know yourself, Keith, as a bike racer, and the, the worst thing is the time it takes to recover from an injury. So that's so cool, Jenny. You obviously just touched on your experience at the TT. Um, we can't go through this podcast without talking about that. That you are the fastest woman around the Isle of Man TT. How did that opportunity arise? Um, again, it was something I was sort of always thinking I was going to do just as a bike racer. It's kind of like a, a no-brainer. Well, to me, it's like a no-brainer to go and do that. And being in, in Bill Smith's as well, um, 
he was obviously an Alaman TT racer and I was sponsored by Charlie Williams, who was one of my first sponsors. So obviously Alaman TT great. And there's Tim Leach, he did the Alaman as well. It was very much kind of a thing that I was just going to do when I was capable or when I felt capable to do it. And um, luckily for me, I, I was accepted at the time. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I was doing I got myself to British Supersport Championships, so I was doing British Supersport Cup at the time. And it was it was the era when the T strokes had gone from the Alaman, so I, I had to be a four stroke rider to be able to do it. Um, so I did a year in Supersport and then I was like, right, okay, I think I can handle the four-stroke now. I'll see if they'll let me um, race at the Alaman. And they, and they did, luckily enough, Paul Phillips um, was happy enough for me to go over there. I obviously did my homework. I went over with Milky Quail and learnt the course. And um, Paul Phillips said to me, if you're going to come over, you might as well bring a 1,000 as well and get as many laps as you can. So I took my, si- my 600 that was racing at the time in Supersport and um, a 1,000cc Honda, so... Yeah, it was just it was it was just like a no brainer. I'm going to go and do it. So, what are your preferences? Do you have a preference to road racing or circuit racing? Do you have a preference motorbike wise? Because I mean, you were really handy on a one two five. I remember one. You talk about one two five. Talk about two strokes. One two five two stroke. I remember commentating on you at Brands Hatch when you were you were on for it. And uh, do you have a preference? Which tracks? Which bikes? Um. I- I love them all. I don't know really what. Yeah, I love my one two five. You know, because it was a proper GP machine. It was not something you could buy for the road. It was a proper little race bike. So I, I love that, and I love two strokes, and I wish they'd bring them back. <laughs> but I also, yeah, I still, I love my thousand. You know, my, I love my six hundred. That was great. And then now that I'm on, well, my super, super bike and the current bike, I've got the the newer CBR thousand RR. You know, it's 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 just mega. It's two hundred and five brake horsepower out the crate. You know, it's it's great. I absolutely love it. To be fair. I like the bigger bikes just because they want to throw you off everyone when it's more fun, you know. So they, I don't really have a preference. I love short circuit racing and I love the Isle of Man and road racing. It's just the two different genres and they have their own elements to them, you know, and their own skill set that you have to take and apply to each. So I don't know, anything, I think just anything bike racing I love. So I, I don't necessarily have a preference. Team-wise, I mean... You mentioned your dad before. He was obviously a major influence in your life and uh, to get you to where he is. And well done, Dad, I have to say. Brilliant job. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we all, as a team, when, we're, when you're riding, as you're coming up through the ranks and the like, you rely so much on a, on a bigger group of people as you get faster, as you get you know, more into it. You, you rely more and more and more people around, as well as the cash that, that you need to make that work. I mean, what's the situation through your career? I mean, that progression of of assistance, of advice, of management. Have you gone through those stages or has it always been Jenny Timworth, me, myself, I? Um, this has been very much, yeah, low-key kind of affair. So it's um, just, it started off me and my mum. So um, my dad came a few times as well, my brother. But, you know, mum would get up at 5am with me to go to Anglesey and do World 100 meetings. You know, she would sleep in the back of the van and... Um, yeah, so it was me and mum to start with, and then so it's just the two of us really. She'd do pit board, I'd span her and ride the bike, and we'd just camp out and enjoy ourselves. And then it, when I get to British Championship, um, Steve Bradley, he worked at Bill Smith, he was a foreman at Bill Smith, he started coming with me, so it sort of turned to me and Steve then. So, and then pretty much my entire career, it's just been um, two man team with obviously fantastic sponsors on the way. You know, I picked up some some great help like Mats Glass and Glazing and SorryMate.com. And, various companies you know that have supported me along the way even just 
um, people that have just turned up and seen that when I'm struggling, you know, they just, um, for instance, Peter Holland, he just turned up to a workshop one day and said, here's some money to help you go racing, you know, just a, just a fan. So it's just bits and pieces along the way just to help me keep going, you know. Um, so yeah, and it's just fundamentally been me and Brad. So when I got, when I entered British Superbikes, um, it was just me and Steve pretty much. And we wrote Greg from Mike's Glass into helping out so you would, you know, go and get wheels and tyres and things. But, you know, my new team, you know, you see these, day, these days there's, I don't know, five, six, seven people in a team and we were very, very, very small, you know, me and Steve pretty much. Um, you know, we could do we could do a whole meeting with just the two of us and um, it was great if anybody came along to help us. So, yeah. Did you have a goal? Did you sort of find yourself looking at, obviously we all look at MotoGP. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the ultimate is MotoGP to end up in whatever whatever class you start off in. You're always aiming at, at, at something as high as that, perhaps, or you're looking that far. Did you, did you have a goal? Was there any particular rider or particular team that you were sort of looking at and thinking, yeah, that's that's the, the that style I would like to emulate if I could? Yeah, it's definitely, for me, it's British Superbike Championship. Um, obviously, MotoGP would be the, the ultimate like a 500 Grand Prix bike or something would be sure. great but for, re- for realistic well, it's like an unrealistic challenge but still a real a possibility would be British Superbike so that was my aim and I used to go and watch Alton Park and uh, watch like it was Chris Walker and Neil Hodgson you know the era when they were having the massive battle in 2000 I just I got wrapped up in the whole thing I absolutely loved it and kind of idolised all those guys that were riding in British Championship at the time and that's where I wanted to go I didn't know if I could but that's what my ambition was and that's what I really really aspired to be and obviously Honda was the dream the dream team it's always always been the dream team you know they were the factory Honda team and to get to ride in the factory Honda team in 2015-16 uh, you know was when I got told I had that ride I was just absolutely blown away you know um, I, I, yeah they were the, the team to ride for Do your stunt guys I mean like obviously they know that you're you're good at what you do working with them but do they, do they really know what you do do they really know how fast you are on the circuit and stuff like that do, do they get into what you do are they are they into your stuff like you're into theirs oh i guess well i got really i made some really really good friends and um, to rick english is a massive friend of mine and um, amazing top stunt, stunt guy in hollywood you know he is most of the massive action scenes where they, somebody's riding a bike it'll be him you know or any of the massive crashes he did the massive high side of mission five which I still don't know to this day how he managed to do that, but it was incredible to instigate his own high side. And yeah, anyway, he is hugely into bike racing, any bike racing new Formula One as well, but he used to race and, you know, he loves MotoGP, loves World Superbike, British Superbike. So he's a he's a massive fan and he's always advocating for me when I don't advocate for myself, you know. So yeah, there are definitely people in the stunt industry that are massive bike fans as well. And what about Tom Cruise? Is it, I mean, is, is he... What's he like? Is he is he a good guy? Do you do you speak much with him? I mean, do, does he does he does he kind of ask questions about bike racing and so on? Um, yeah, it, no, he's lovely. Like he's extremely friendly. He always asks you about you and what you've been up to. And if you if you engage in conversation with him to do with bikes and cars, you can see him absolutely love it. Um, he, he went to Festival of Speed a couple of years ago, you know, to hang around the cars. And I remember when we were at Bedford, uh, Jonathan Palmer was there and Jonathan pretty much opened up his, his garage and said, do you fancy having to go in, I think it was an F2 car or something, and then, you know, Tom's in this F2 car blasting around the track, and you can, yeah, you can see how much he he loves it, which is great, isn't it? And, um, yeah, it's it's just fantastic that he loves the sport, he loves bikes, and, lo- you know, you, if you look at any of his films, he always has to have a car chase scene and a bike chase scene, and that's brilliant, because any film that's got a bike chase scene in does it for me you know I, I remember watching loads of films so I was younger any element of a bike in the film and that's becomes my new favourite film Jenny you've done so much for women in in this sport um, and I'm so glad that that's been recognised by so many different different people and, and you have had those awards um, just bringing ourselves back now to what we mentioned at the top of the show next year we'll see the launch of the FIM Women's Motorcycle World Championship that will run along World Superbikes um, it's obviously like a huge huge step for, for women in this sport would it be something going back in your career you would have been interested in I, I've thought about this a lot obviously I've pondered the, the thing quite a bit and I, it's really hard for me I don't really know how to answer that because I don't because it's not something that's in existence now, it's really hard for me to know if I would aspire to do it because my inspiration has always been 
the guys in British Championship, you know, that's what I've look, looked up to. And then uh, I guess as well, when you're aspiring to go somewhere, you aim at the top, like you, like Keith was saying with MotoGP. You know, all the young lads in British Championship now, and girls, for instance, you know, the, they'll be looking at MotoGP, that's where they'll want to be. And because it's not something that's in existence, it's really hard to define whether you would aspire to be there or not. But I do think it's a fantastic thing, you know, if it draw, if it highlights um, women in sport, in the sport and draws attention to them and, like I said before, it's all about funding and being in the limelight and getting recognition from sponsors and a manufacturer and all of that. You know, if, if somebody's willing to draw attention to, to that, that's, you know, that's fantastic. I think what you just pointed out there, you know, it's something that you would have struggled with throughout your career in terms of finding that financial backing and the fact that a group of women are going to be able to get regular racing experience and I mean, the aim of it was so that they actually can earn some kind of professional salary is a massive step. But I think I'm so much on on the same kind of line of thinking as you, Jenny, in terms of the one hesitation I had in my mind was billing it as the, the pinnacle destination perhaps is like the wrong, the wrong angle to go at because you do want we still want young girls to look up and go, I want to be the next Menno GP world champion or like you did, I want to be the next British superbike champion. Yeah, the, the, the thing I was thinking as well is we, I think bike racing was so, so lucky because it's always been an inclusive sport. Well, from, except when they banned Earl Twain from, was it from the Alaman or whatever. But fundamentally, it's, it's you know, now in finally 20, 30 years, it's, it's always been a very, very inclusive sport. There's absolutely zero barriers to anybody taking part Um and I understand wanting to get more females into it, but I, I love the fact that there's nothing stopping females doing it. You know, you can if you want to. There's nothing stopping anybody doing it, which I think for for our sport, we're actually ahead of the game because we're already there. You can already enter. You can, if you're fast enough to get in that 107% of fastest guy, you're on the grid, you know. Um, and I do love that. And I, So I, I'm not too sure about the, the separating it, element is 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 it double edged sword isn't it because it's there's I don't necessarily agree with the separating element but I do agree with the advocating for more of anybody in the sport in general so um yeah I don't know I don't really know because I don't know what is for the best but I think if anybody's willing to put in effort to get more more people out there then that's that's a good thing I think you've absolutely covered that so eloquently well, Jenny. I really, really do, because I think that, that looking at, and you've said it as well, Amy, as a, an aspiration to be top woman is not what it's about. It's to be top motorcycle racer. That's what it's about. And there are opportunities yeah. there. It's been the funding in the past that's not been so great. Um, you know, I don't think women have been taken seriously, perhaps, when that, you know, Anna Carrasco, I, I did an interview with Anna Carrasco on BBC Sounds, and uh, and the trauma that that woman has had to go through because of the f- fact that her mum and dad are, are, are not funding because their mum and dad and mum and dad are both got, he's a mechanic, she's a, a nurse, I think her mum. Um, they don't have inherently, you know, large amounts of money to put into their daughter to, to make that work. Although they've obviously given her plenty of moral support and whatever they can. And I mean, I think, but most of us have come up the way that you have, Jenny. I mean, I, you know, my parents never had any money. We did what we did. You know, there's lots of people I know in, in bike sport that have come up with zero money. Hodgson, you mentioned Hodgson earlier on. Same situation for him. Yeah, they made a bit of money later on. Even the Fogarty's, you know, Foggy, you know, no no real money there initially. I mean, they've always made money, I think. But but I, I think bike sport, the opportunities are more likely to be there in bike sport than they ever are in four wheels. I mentioned Jonathan Palmer earlier on. He was a teammate of mine back at STC Builders Day when he was in Formula One and I was in 500s. I've known John for a long, long, long time. He had a little bit of money involved, and there was always massive backing for kids. They, they were ahead of the curve where you could buy drives. We've only really just moved into that situation now, where a lot of second riders in teams in Grand Prix are paying for their rides effectively through sponsorship of their own or through family money. Um, that's an, a relatively new thing in bikes, whereas it's always been there in cars. It's not a level playing field financially, but I think from a physicality point of view and a mentality point of view, there is absolutely no reason why a woman can't do exactly the same as a man. Um, I mentioned Danny Pedrosa in jest a bit earlier on when we were talking about stunting. You know, there's a, a perfect example. He weighs same as my wife. She's not as fast as him, by the way, but it's a situation where I think that that, that even the physicality of things, 
Danica Patrick, if we want to go four wheels again, Danica Patrick, who we see a lot on Sky F1 nowadays, who I rate quite highly um, in IndyCar, fast as hell and feisty as hell as well. I mean, she really was the match of any bloke in a in a pit lane skirmish. Um, and I'd seen her in one or two of those before as well, holding her own. So it it's like almost a barrier. It's like it's like parents that bring up children in blue or pink. You know, it's a situation where it's almost indoctrination from an early age, which is your mum and dad did a great job for you, Jenny, and that, that, that those boundaries weren't there, perhaps. Whereas you see so many, you know, like even in the school run nowadays, when I'm, you know, I've got an eight-year-old, I know, I know, I know I shouldn't have, I should be a granddad. Um, and when I take her to school, I see, you know, the, the, the good old stereotypical um, dress sense and so on and so forth. I mean, and I think that those things get in the heads of, of young women as well. I think that we're not even yet at that stage where women can always believe when they get older that they can do anything in sport, in motorsport, in engineering, in supposedly previously dominated, male dominated environments. Um, I wonder when we get to that stage, and this is for both of you, well, when we get to that stage where that's not the case, what what is it, where, where's the tipping point for, for women, girls and and you know, youngsters coming up now, where's the tipping point where the belief is 100% in a woman's mind that they can they can do what we do in motorsport, particularly because gender makes no difference? Yeah, that's hard to answer, isn't it? Because I, I, me personally, I've always been there, you know. Yeah. From, yeah, because I never thought there was anything I couldn't do. And I, I don't know what changes anybody's viewpoint on that and um, I don't know how, yeah I mean I I think it's definitely less it's definitely it's, it's really hard to judge how young girls think if they if it has changed enough that they do you know the old kind of old-fashioned way of thinking is gone you know I I don't know how to answer I, I don't know personally on young girls viewpoint on how they feel about whether they can just go out there and do anything they want me personally i i know they can you know and then um i i did when i was younger i was like i can luckily like you say my parents were great they were just literally said whatever you want to do we just support you and and i just thought i could do anything if i wanted to try and build a house i i didn't really see any reason why i couldn't you know you know what i mean so yeah i don't know if you have an opinion on that amy if you've seen anything I think it's starting to happen. I think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing this shift in recent years. I think bringing it back to the Women's Motorcycle World Championship, I think the important thing in terms of seeing like the longevity of females in this sport is to ensure that we never run out of the talent pool. I think that's perhaps where the funding, the attention needs to go is, is a little bit more towards the grassroots level. Um, and you know, Jenny, your, I know your opinion will be is, well, there's nothing stopping girls entering um, British Talent Cup and, and things like that, rebel rookies. And there are, I think, aren't there? Like it's, I, I think it's just, we just need to ensure that talent pool doesn't run out is my personal okay, opinion. Well, but I do think there's a shift Let happening. me ask you both again then. Are, are our organising bodies, are our, uh, our you know, Dorna, the FIM, so on and so forth, are they moving at a pace that you think is reasonable? Uh, you know, you, you obviously can't just drop a new series in there if we don't have that talent pool, as you were mentioning there, Amy. I mean, are they doing enough to encourage that? Are they are they are they working diligently towards that equalisation? The FIM have definitely made a big step. I think in the last year, I know that they've actually done a lot in different countries to develop women and and and. Uh, bikes and, and getting more girls on bikes and and things like that. So I think they are starting to. I think we're maybe a little bit further up behind than in other sports. But I think the important thing is that we, we've started now. I don't know if you've got a different opinion on that, Jenny, because you maybe see things from more like a national level and things like that. Yeah, I guess I I, I see it from a yeah British Championship kind of level, I guess, and and. Again, it's still really hard for me to define the the separate the the women and the men. If you know what I mean, I just still see it as a a people, human, competitive. You want to go bike racing or not? Um, but I also see that, for like right at grassroots level, you know, like what Michael Laverty is doing with his Vision Track Academy thing is fantastic. And if we had more 
more of those little academies building young riders up um, in Britain, that would be brilliant. Now, even if we had a full, if we had a bigger, more Johnson Palmer funded maybe academy right at the base, bringing riders up from from young, you know, from mini motos, whatever, that would be fantastic. And that, I think more more filtering down from the top to the grassroots would be great. Like I say, what Michael Avti is doing is fantastic. If we had like two or three different academies. Like I remember when they had, um, I can't remember if it was called Red Bull Rookies, but when they had Jonathan Ray and Eugene Laverty in British 125 Championship, it was a Red Bull funded little initiative. And they had, I remember reading back to back their article and performance bikes on how they were developing those riders, you know, they were, what they would do pre-race and their fitness and their nutrition and all of that. And it was all a little, a little, bubble that they were in to develop them as riders and encourage them to go far and if we had that again you know even if it even if that was just based for women but and to encourage women but I would like it to be for everybody you know because there's there's times when young lads have been in, inspired by what I do so you can't you have to you can't really exclude young lads from what women do either because women can inspire young lads and you can't forget that you know so you can't say, well, it's just a women thing, and you can't come into it because you're you're a young lad. So it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, because you want more women in it as well. So it's really, it's kind of a delicate thing to sort of get the right, the right balance and the right attitude. But fundamentally, it come, it does come down to money and time and time on track and all of those marginal gains thing that everybody's MotoGP level is doing. You know, MotoGP is absolutely outstanding. If you could implement some of the strategies and the gains they do at MotoGP level at grassroots level and build the, these kids up right from the start from the base upwards and um, especially in Britain that'd be brilliant because you know, we all want to see a, a British MotoGP rider don't we you know we're hoping Jake gets a ride and the more British people lads well lads or girls we can get into MotoGP would be fantastic and if it, it, it has to start right at the beginning doesn't it and it has to be the level at the start has to be is aiming for that high high level so I wonder if um, Dawna or anybody like that have ever approached you, Jenny. I mean, your your what's the integrity as far as equality is concerned is incredible. I mean, I'm speaking as an old bloke. Obviously, I've I've come through the eras of, of prejudice against women, towards women, and so on and so forth. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. It's not like that around our house, by the way. Um, but the point being is that is that that equality of thinking that you've got from a woman's perspective seems to be a a valuable asset to me that the FIM, that Dorna should be taken on. Yeah, we've we've seen, you know, advocates of, of, of female participation and so on and so forth, but I've never heard it uh, so eloquently put on an equal basis. And I think that that is good for women and obviously good for blokes as well. But from a, from a female point of view, that equality of thinking over performance that I am able to achieve this is is the most important hurdle to get over for me from looking in from where I am nowadays. Um, you seem to have cracked it, but you're the only one out of most of the girls that I've spoken to that seem to have that, you know, that equality running through you. Um, have the FIM or of Dawn or anybody like that ever approached you for, for your opinion on this? No, but too far, I've not approached them either, so maybe it's a, no, a, a thing where I... Put my two pennies in. I don't know. I would. I mean, I'd love. I mean, I love. To say, I love what Michael Laverty's doing. If I could, if I could personally do something like that, but I don't. I don't have. They don't have the funding or the means, or I don't know. Neither did he until suddenly no, I, those yeah. places became available, and and because Erta, the International Racing Association, again, again, Mike Trimby. I mean, Mike Trimby, friend of ours. You know, good old Jeremy McWilliams, another film star. They needed the ugliest stunt rider they could find, and they got Jeremy. Perfect. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> He'll love it if he's listening to this. Oh, she... <laughs> I've seen they need too. to get Jenny involved for sure on the Women's Motorcycle World Championship next year. That goes without saying, I think. Your experience would just be invaluable for all of those prospective uh, riders. Jenny, whilst we've got you as well, it would be really great to get your opinion on this year's GP season. Um, what we have to ask you the obvious question is, what have you thought of the sprint races? Oh, I love them. Oh, I feel sorry. Do you? Yeah. I feel sorry for the riders because they've got a right busy weekend, haven't they? But mm. I absolutely love them. You know, they just, I mean, the good thing about them is it's its like when you have a red flag bid race, isn't it? And then it's a scrap for the last six laps or whatever. It's kind of a little bit like that from the start. And the other point of it is if you, if you, if you only got one race 
in a weekend if something does go wrong if you get taken out or you have a mechanical or something you know you spent that entire time there to have a disappointment you know whereas if if it happens in the sprint race and you've got another race or if it happens in the second race you've had the sprint race so it doesn't feel like an entirely wasted weekend you know you've had a race and it also gives them yeah. extra setup time and extra kind of strategy for the main race and I, I personally love it but I, I really don't envy them or the mechanics or the teams that have to put all the effort into you covered yourself off really well there because you felt typical rider. You felt sorry for the riders, but then all of a sudden you just snuck in all the main guys, <laughs> all the people that are working behind the scenes, having to work double for the same pay. Um, <laughs> yeah. All the hospitality units, all of the people supporting the riders, they get it easy. They go back for their massage afterwards and and, and sort of check their bank accounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. It's a it's everyone else, isn't it? It's got to run around, getting the Why's, bikes prepped, getting the wheels, getting the fuel. Yeah, that's the work. Same pay. Yeah. <laughs> and Jenny, what have you thought about this whole Mark Marquez thing? Do you think he should stick or twist? Oh, that's again, that's a 50 50, isn't it? Because it would be fantastic to see him just potentially jump ship and go to KTM or go to Ducati. But at the same point, Honda normally pulls something out of the bag, and it would be nice to see. It's nice to see his loyalty and to stay with Honda and then to pull something out of the bag. But it, you just don't want him to get hurt anymore, you know, because Mark Marquez, Mark Marquez will always be Mark Marquez, Mark Marquez and he will try. He will, there's no way for him to hold back and to not try as hard as he does. is is too hard for him. He has to try. And then if that's going to result in him injuring himself further, then that's not what we want to see. Is it? And that's not what he's going to want. So it's so hard. I just, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's quite good to not know I guess he's gonna to have to make a choice soon of which way it's gonna go do you what do you think Keith do you think he's gonna stay or go <laughs> well I mean personally if he's got I mean Marquez he's a wonderful uh motorcycle racer but he's 30 years old now so he's running out of time that's a fact fact of life he's been well battered I mean personally I'd I'd dump Honda and go and have a go on a Grassini okay it's a satellite bike and so on and so forth but that's just it's a personal opinion situation. I mean, he says he's got three choices now, which obviously is Grassini, Honda. The third one, that's an interesting one. Maybe that is retirement. We'll see. And we're going to see soon as well because he's going to make his mind up very, very soon. Um, everyone's unhappy with the test. Yamaha are unhappy with the test. Honda are unhappy with the test. It hasn't worked out the way it's going to, going to work out um, in Mizano last week. But then again, it wasn't going to in one day, was it? it what was What was interesting was whether... The two Yamaha, the Yamaha guys and the Honda guys felt that their direction was going forwards, and neither have. You know, they've been quite public in as much as a, you know, Quattararo is not happy with the way Yamaha went, and Mark Mark is not happy with the way Honda went. So, um, I think that that with Grassini sitting there waiting, uh, Alex Marquez, his brother, already there waiting. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. He don't need the money. I don't think he's money orientated anyway. Um, or maybe he's just going to go to more fashion events like he did with his girlfriend the other week and um, and cruise through the rest of his life. But I doubt that, absolutely, because he's too much of a competitor. He's not going to be wanting to go out on a whimper. He's going to want to go out knowing that he covered off everything that was available to him at the time it was available. Um, I, just, I, I just hope he doesn't stay with Honda, personally. Um, he had rather time to work his way through a development year. I want him on a bike that's somewhere thereabouts. And well, okay, it's a satellite bike, but the only real difference is the fact that they don't have the same amount of personnel. But you know, Ducati is going to give him something that's going to work, even if it is a satellite team. It's going to be that. And when you've got 15 riders covered by less than a second uh, nowadays, you know, the Mark Marquez difference, whether it's on a satellite bike or not, might make the difference. Can't wait. It's going to be an interesting 2024. I'm 100% the same as you, Keith. I'm ready to see Mark on a bike that he can be competitive again on and really shape the field up. Because I think at the moment, everyone's kind of on this like level playing field. There's not really that complete standout. Yeah, you could put Peko up there, but he still he still leaves himself vulnerable for making the odd mistakes. And he, he's, I don't think you could yet label Peko as an alien like the Mark Marcus. No, really. Um, but, I mean, we can dive more into that on Thursday because that is it for this week's show. Jenny, thank you so much for your time. It's been really lovely to hear a bit more about your story and some of your opinions. Thank you. Uh, Keith and I, as I said, we'll be back on Thursday for OMG Extra, your quick updates as we look ahead to all things India. 
So any questions, make sure you get them into us on omgmotogp at gmail.com. Please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as we'll be sure to really, really uh, use them. And thank you so much for joining us. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.